morning, church. Good morning, and good morning to all who are joining us right now from all of our campuses and online. I know that many people are watching from spring break this uh, weekend, and I've got some good news to share with you, you guys. Did you know that today is the first day of spring? We did it. We did it. We made it through winter. We did it. Uh, You're noticing that change in the weather. It's supposed to get to the 60s today. Praise the Lord. I am so excited about spring. We're coming out of that long and cold winter season, and we're jumping into some warmer weather, which means we get to go on walks again and ride bikes again, and I get to mow my lawn again, which I am so excited to do. I unironically love doing that. And one thing um, that I'm weirdly excited about this year is cleaning. As I'm getting older, I'm noticing that my passions are changing, you know? Things that I once hated as a child, I now love. It's weird. I don't know what's happening. And uh, there's nothing quite like a a thoroughly clean garage, is there, guys, right? Come on. There's nothing quite like a a top-to-bottom cleaning of the house. Nothing quite like the perfectly trimmed hedges and the perfectly manicured lawn and landscape. I mean, it is just amazing. Like, those winter months were long, and we were hunkered down inside, and things got a little dirty inside. And things got a little neglected outside. And, and it isn't just us feeling this. This is like a global movement in spring. Everyone's feeling the same thing. They're like, we're ready. And in fact, we kind of made it like a, like a national holiday, spring cleaning. It's amazing. We wipe down every inch of our homes to make it clean. And so while, while our minds are focused on that, maybe yours wasn't before right now, but maybe it is now, While our minds are focused on the cleaning season, let's carry that not only into our homes, but let's take that passion and that fervor into our lives as well. Because in a dirty church, it's time to clean the temple. That's our title for today. It's time to clean the temple. And we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. And spoiler alert, as you turn there, uh, we're going to see today that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And I think that if we were to examine our bodies with the same exactness and scrutiny that we do for our our homes in spring cleaning, uh, we would find some dirt. We would find some things that maybe have been neglected. We we would find some things that, that need to be cleaned up. And I think that that is a great practice for us, just generally speaking. Paul is going to speak about something very specific today in in the Corinthian church, and that is sexual immorality. As Pastor Britt said, it's it's going to be a mature theme. I'm not going to be overly graphic about it, but I am going to speak directly to it. And um, this isn't just a problem in the Corinthian church. This isn't just a problem for them. This is a problem in our day as well. And and when I think of sexual immorality, I, I immediately always think of Hebrews 12, which is, so let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I think that sexual immorality is one of those sins that clings so closely and weighs us down and keeps us from running the race of endurance set before us well. And it's not just that I think that. Uh, Research shows it as well. I've been reading a lot of studies this week, and um, one study that I read, half of U.S. Christians, uh, not yet with that one, sorry, half of U.S. Christians say casual sex is sometimes or always acceptable. The same number of U.S. Christians say that, ca- or that sex is uh, sometimes or always acceptable in a committed relationship outside of marriage. Now, notice I said half of U.S. Christians, not half of the United States. 
These are Christians we're talking about that believe casual sex or in a committed relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. I, I also pulled some t- statistics from Covenant Eyes. Um, and 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn to, to and with their friends. 55% of adults 25 years and older believe porn is wrong. Teens and young adults believe not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. 43% of teens believe porn is bad for society. And now getting into the church, one in five youth pastors and one in seven, youth, uh, one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say they have struggled with pornography in the past. And 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. I don't show you those statistics to scare you or to fear monger. I share them with you to show that we have, there's a problem. This isn't just something that the Corinthian church is dealing with. This is something that we are dealing with in the church today. This problem with sexual immorality. It is a weight and a sin that clings so closely to us. So let's clean out the temple, amen? Because my body is God's temple, I elevate its significance. That's the first thing that we're going to see looking at verse 12 together. If you remember a couple of weeks back, Pastor Jeff talked about this belief of dualism that the Corinthians brought into the church. This idea that there is an immaterial, the soul and the spirit, and then there's the material, which is the body. And that this immaterial, the soul and the spirit, is, uh, is, is the thing that's really worth it, and, and, the, and the, immaterial, or the material, the body, doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is the soul and the spirit, the immaterial. So you could do whatever you want with your body, it didn't matter. And they took that belief and they mushed it together with Christianity, and the thing that came out of it was an abomination. I think Pastor Jeff compared it to broccoli pizza, which I can confirm, that is, that is an abomination, absolutely. And so Paul here is arguing against that view in verse 12. Look at it with me. All things are lawful. Notice the, the quotes. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, quotes again, but I will not be dominated by anything. Those quotes are there in your Bible because these would be uh, common slogans that the Corinthians would say to justify their behavior. They would say these things, all things are lawful for me to justify their actions. See, they had a low view of the body, that it didn't matter, so everything was lawful to them. And this actually brings out a pretty interesting concept that we see in scripture, which is Christian liberty or Christian freedom. Um, Maybe you've heard of that before, maybe you you haven't, but this is a concept that, that Paul actually agrees with, that the Christian faith is not just a bunch of rules and regulations that we follow, and if we follow those rules and regulations really, really well, uh, we're gonna earn our salvation. That, that's, that's Jewish legalism. In Christ, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, not of works. And so there is a certain Christian liberty and freedom that Christians are free to engage in activities that aren't expressly forbidden in Scripture. These would be things like uh, whether or not uh, you take a drink or get tattoos or get piercings or wear certain clothes or dance or watch certain movies or listen to certain music. This would fall into this category of Christian freedom or Christian liberty. 
And there are two sides, everything's a spectrum, right? And there's two sides to the Christian freedom spectrum. On one side, you have legalism. And legalism is man-made rules uh, put in place to keep people from taking those things to a sinful resolution. Now, I believe that legalism is very well-intentioned, but the problem with it is that they elevate those man-made rules to the level of scripture. And then they impose them on other people, and that's wrong. On the other side, you have carnality which is I have no restrictions, I, I need no restrictions, I can take these to the extreme, all things are lawful for me. And I think that we can figure out where the Corinthians fall on this spectrum. And so obviously the, 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 the topic of, of Christian liberty is a very big topic, but Paul actually gives us really helpful things right here in this first verse as we think about Christian liberty and Christian freedom in our life, if you notice, after he says their slogan, all things are lawful for me, he says, but not all things are helpful. Well, that begs a question, right, that we need to ask ourselves. Is it helpful? So when we're thinking about Christian liberty, we need to ask ourselves some questions. First one, is it helpful? Is it beneficial to me? Is it beneficial to those around me? Let's, let's take drinking, uh, for example, since that one's very hotly contested. Is it beneficial to me? Well, do I have a problem with self-control? Do I have an addictive personality? Uh, do I use it as a crutch or as a vice? Well, then that probably wouldn't be very helpful or beneficial to me, right? And so I lay my Christian freedom down for the sake of holiness. What about helpful and beneficial to those around me? If I have a brother or sister who is struggling with alcoholism or who is a recovering alcoholic, would it be helpful or beneficial to have a drink in front of them? No, right? And so I lay my Christian freedom down for the sake of my brother or my sister to not make them stumble. The other question that Paul draws out of this, he says, I will not be dominated by anything. That's the second question that we need to ask ourselves in Christian freedom. Am I dominated by it? Do I need to have it? Does it influence me? Does it have power over me? Am I addicted to it? Is it dominating me? And if it is, then we need to lay down our Christian freedom in that area because Christ did not free us from the bondage of this world so that we could crawl back in under the guise of Christian liberty, amen? So obviously the Corinthians were not asking those questions, right? And they were taking these things to the extreme in the name of Christian liberty. In fact, they were, they were trying to add things to it. Look at verse 13 with me. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for and the stomach for the food. So what they were doing, this is another slogan that they would use, and they were equating uh, stomach and food and food for the stomach with sex for the body. It's natural, you see, it's a, it's a natural thing, and so uh, of course we would have Christian freedom in this natural expression of our body. They were trying to add things. Uh, we do this too, we do this too. Um, it's just sex, it's just sex. It's a low view of the body. It's just intimacy. Uh, how do we know if we're compatible? I don't know, talk. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> it's just a natural outpouring of love, right? These are things that, my body, my choice. We use these things to justify our behavior with a low view of our body, just like the Corinthians. Paul refutes this. He has an um-actually moment with the Corinthian church right here, which I love. 
Uh, he, he loves to correct, and I think it's amazing because I also love that sometimes, especially like in Star Wars. You know when someone says, Luke, I am your father, and I go, um, actually, <laughs> it's no, comma, I am your father. I'm actually. And so Paul's doing that right here. They're like, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. Uh, and Paul is like, I'm actually, God will destroy both one and the other. I'm actually, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I'm actually, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Paul is now elevating the view of the body and showing its eschatological or its eternal significance. You see, Jesus was raised in a bodily resurrection. He wasn't raised as a spirit or a soul floating around the earth. He was raised in a bodily resurrection. And we are going to share in that bodily resurrection in glorified bodies for eternity. So in fact, the body isn't meaningless. The body isn't worthless. It has eternal significance. And not just eternal significance, it has significance now. Look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We are united with Christ now in our bodies. We are members of Christ now in our bodies. We are joined with Christ now in our bodies. And I love that Paul says, or do you not know? He says this a lot throughout this swath of scripture. Or do you not know? And I love that because he knows that they know. And they know that he knows that they know. He's sharing this truth and they know this truth. They, they know it, but they obviously haven't thought through the implications of what they are doing in being so like lax with sex in the body, that it joins their body to someone else. They know that. The act which God designed to be within the context of marriage and if done outside of marriage is sin. What Paul is getting at here is, is, is how can you be intimate with sin and be intimate with God? Answer, you can't. How can you be intimate with sin and intimate with God? How can you be one with sin and one with Christ? You can't. It doesn't work. You can only be one with one of them. And so Paul is elevating the body, the view of the body. And we need to do the same. We need to understand the importance of our bodies. It's not meaningless. It's not. It's actually very significant. The body is sacred. And because of the resurrection, it has permanent value. So my body is God's temple. I elevate its significance. Next, I fight for its purity. I fight for its purity. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality here in the Greek is the word pornea, which is exactly where we get our word porn. It is most commonly referring to premarital sex, but it is really any sexual expression outside of the boundaries of biblical marriage. So that's premarital, adultery, pornography, lust. Because God made sex and sexual expression for marriage. So anything outside of that 
is not God's purpose and therefore is sinful. And Paul says we are to flee from it. We are to flee. 1 Thessalonians 4 says we are to abstain from it. In fact, it says, for this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So we are to flee, we are to abstain, and the idea is to stay away. Stay away from it. Don't go near it. Don't don't let it get close to you. Run away. The way that we fight for purity is we flee sexual immorality. The way we fight is we flee. It's a tactical retreat, right? Sexual immorality is dangerous, and we flee from dangerous situations. I have a fear of heights. Anyone with me on a fear of heights? Yeah. More importantly, I have a fear of heights for other people, okay? And so me and my wife uh, were talking about, like, maybe someday taking a vacation with the kids uh, to the Grand Canyon, because I've never seen it, and, and we've never gone uh, there w- with our family, and I was like, oh man, that would be so great. Like, the pictures look great, and I heard, like, that the pictures don't do it justice, and so it'd be really great for us to go as a family. And then I thought about it for a moment, and I'm like, yeah, the Grand Canyon doesn't have any railings around it. It's just kind of like up to the edge and woo. <laughs> and like, I love my kids, but they are the most uncoordinated human beings. I, like they are uncoordinated. I, I don't know. Like we have no obstacles in our home, and yet 15 times a day they are flat on their face into the carpet. And so there's no way that that would be any sort of vacation. Like I would be so anxious. Okay, we're gonna stay uh, a thousand yards away from the edge. Okay, there it is, everyone. Look at it. Isn't it so nice? Wow. How incredible is the Grand Canyon? Okay, you stay back. No, don't even think about getting closer to that edge. That is very dangerous. Stay back. And so really what we decided is that we'll never go to the Grand Canyon. So <laughs> it's dangerous. You stay away from it, right? It's, or think of it maybe like a, like a wild animal, like a bear, because we live in the Midwest, right? If you see a wild bear, do you go up and walk up to it and try to pet it? Some people do, and they die. You see a wild animal, you see a bear, you, you keep your distance. You stay away from it. And the first chance that you get, you run away. That's the idea that Paul is saying here, to flee, to stay away from it. We need to flee sexual immorality because if we don't flee sexual immor- immorality, it will catch up to us. We need to flee. This is an active word as well, meaning that it's not just a one-time thing. It is something that we make a habit of. This is a lifestyle, a lifestyle of staying away from sexual immorality. We don't even put ourselves in situations where we could fall in this area. The problem is, is that we don't really take it seriously. We don't avoid places of sexual immorality. We actively stay in them. Boyfriends and girlfriends, um, we'll just lay down on the couch, watch a show under a blanket. Nothing's gonna happen. Nothing's gonna happen. We'll just hang out super late at night when our minds aren't really in the right place. Nothing's gonna happen. We're just gonna move in together. Nothing's gonna happen. And we get closer and closer and closer to the edge. What about pornography? I don't need accountability software on my phone. I don't need it on my device. I'm strong enough. 
and we get closer and closer to the edge. What about thoughts? Listen, if I, I, if I don't act on it, I can think it. Nothing's gonna happen. And I get closer and closer to the edge. We don't take it seriously, and that leads to many people falling in this area. We really do have a perfect example of this in Joseph. Um, Potiphar's wife uh, thought Joseph was the bee's knees. Um, she was hot for Joseph, and she thought he was very handsome. And she made it known to Joseph. She actually grabbed him by the cloak and brought him in nice and close and was like, okay. And Joseph had a couple, of, he had a decision to make. He could try and sit there and fight. He could kind of let things play out, but he didn't. What did he do? Joseph literally wiggled out of his cloak and ran out of the house. He physically moved from the location of sexual immorality. He ran away. That's what Paul is saying. Flee, run, get away. And not in a metaphorical sense. Physically, get up and move. If you're having thoughts, if things are getting hot and heavy, you need to get up and leave. You need to get up and go on a prayer walk. You need to remove your physical body from that location. You need to get as far away as you possibly can. You need to flee temptation. Maybe you're like, it's too late to go on a walk. Well, Country Donuts and Spunky Dunkers are both open 24 hours a day. You can always go there and eat a donut because you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> who maybe in that moment can you call who's closer than a brother or a sister to talk to them, right? This is serious because Paul goes on, he says every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. A commentary I read this week said it like this, Paul goes on to suggest that this sin strikes at the very roots of our being. He does not say that it is the most serious of all sins, but that its relation to the body is unique. Other sins may have effects on the body, but this sin, and this sin alone, means that a man takes the body that is a member of Christ and puts it into a union which blasts his own body. This sin is unique in its relation to us. It, re it originates purely in us from lust. It has no other purpose than self-gratification. And our body wasn't made for that. Our body was made for the Lord. It was made for the Lord. And so we flee sexual immorality. Well, what happens when I'm stuck? What happens when I, I didn't flee? What happens when I, I, I didn't run away and now I'm stuck in the mud of sexual sin and I have become numb to conviction and I have, my, my conscience has been seared because I have been engaging in sexual sin for so long? What do I do? Well, the first thing is confession. 
It's a spiritual problem and it needs a spiritual solution. Confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the first step, to come before the Lord in confession to him. And it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is promised to us. But maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Pastor, I've already done that. I've taken that step. I've taken that step many times. And yet even though I've taken that step, I, I seem to, every time I, I turn around, I, I fall right back into the same patterns, the same lifestyle, the same sexual sin. Well, if that's you, maybe Matthew 5 um, would be helpful. If it's a deep-rooted sin, it takes radical movements to overcome. Jesus says in Matthew 5, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus is, is, is saying here, he's not, it's not talking about, he's not saying literally cut off your hand, literally pluck out your eye. Um, these are the steps that are, that are needed in your life to remove sin. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Doesn't matter how inconvenient or, or maybe how painful that might be, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye is causing you to sin, Pluck it out, throw it away. It doesn't matter how painful that would be. It doesn't matter how inconvenient that might be. It's worth it. So let's get very practical in this area. Almost brutally practical. If you're a boyfriend or a girlfriend and in your relationship you have been constantly falling into sexual sin together, in any of its forms, you need to stop dating right now. Don't say that to be mean. You, you are not ready to date. You need to work on your spiritual life. You need to learn how to set appropriate boundaries in this area. You need to get it right before you start dating. You need to cut it off and tear it out. You need to remove the temptation, remove it altogether until you are strong enough in this area to do it God's way. Listen, you're only hurting yourself and your partner if you continue in that. What about when you have been battling and you can't seem to find victory in your mind, constantly going back to lustful thoughts? Well, when you have that thought come into your mind, don't let it sit there. In the, in the first two seconds that that thought comes into your mind, you need to cut it off and tear it out and throw it away. You need to actively go to war with your thought life. You need to immediately pray, Jesus, this thought is not from you. Take it away from me. And we can't get lazy in our minds. We can't let those thoughts linger. We need to flee those thoughts. We need to throw them out of our mind. Get them as far away as we possibly can. Are you watching porn on your phone? 
Are you watching porn on your computer or another device? Cut it off, tear it out. Web filtering and accountability software is everywhere and it helps people. Triple X Church, canine web filtering, covenant eyes, it's helpful. But even if you can't control yourself with that, finding ways around it, then you need to take this verse literally, throw it away, throw it away. You don't need a phone that has an internet browser. You don't, you do not. Throw it away, get a flip phone for a season. Maybe it's happening on the computer. Move that computer to a public space in your house, not in privacy, behind a a closed door. Get web filtering software on it so that you cannot, or even get rid of a computer in your home altogether. Flee. Fleeing is almost always going to be inconvenient. But that's what it takes to stay away from sexual immorality. I fight for the purity of God's temple no matter the inconvenience that it brings to me. My body is God's temple, I fight for its purity, and then last this, I I glorify its master. I glorify its master. Paul is, is going from a correction and a rebuke to reminding the Corinthians of who they are. He says in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the temple was the place where God's presence would dwell. It was taken care of extensively by the priests. In fact, they had to do purification rites before they would enter the Holy of Holies, which is where the presence of God would be. It was a big deal. And here's the reality for us is that what Paul is sharing here is is it's, it's no longer a place. It's no longer a building. It's now a people. It's you and, and, it, and it's me. We are now the place where God is pleased to dwell. This is who we are now. We are temples. And because we are temples, we need, we need to act like temples. Not because of rules or regulations, but because the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in us and that union with God brings unspeakable joy. Listen, we, we don't flee sexual immorality because it's so bad. We flee sexual immorality because our union with the Holy Spirit is so good. That's why we flee. You have in the Holy Spirit something that will actually satisfy you forever. True satisfaction, unlike sexual desire which will satisfy you for a moment and leave you broken afterwards. True satisfaction is found in the presence of God where there's peace, where there's freedom, where there's joy everlasting and that presence is within us because we are temples. And not only that, Paul goes on to say, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You used to be a slave to sin, being chewed up and spit out by the world with no escape, a slave to your destructive, sinful desire. But now, 
Now we have been purchased with the precious blood of Christ when he died on the cross for all of our sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have a new master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and and we are his, and our bodies are his. It's no longer my body, my choice. It's God's body, God's choice. Just P.S., small soapbox. Can we stop saying as Christians, my body, my choice? Um, That is theologically incorrect, as we're learning right now. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, okay? It's not my body, my choice. That, That type of thinking, I understand the context, but that type of thinking is what leads to this Corinthian thinking. My body, I get to do whatever I want with it. God's body, God's choice. All right, soapbox over, all right. We have been purchased. God's body, God's choice. This is actually a really good thing. This is actually very, very good news, that we have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ, that we have a new master, one who is loving, one who is caring for us, one who, uh, who, who forgives us, and one who frees us from all the things that we try to hurt ourselves with, and we are his, and it is altogether satisfying to be so. We, um, when I was younger, we would rescue greyhounds from the racetrack, and um, I don't know if you know anything about greyhound racing, but it's, you know, some not great things happened behind the scenes. And the first dog that we rescued, uh, her name was Libby, and Libby was broken when she came into our home. Uh, like literally and um, figuratively. She was broken in the fact that she had broken ribs and she had a broken tail. She was beaten and abused and she was broken um, in her attitude. She was afraid of us. Anytime we tried to go near to her, she would start to shiver and to shake. If any sudden movements were made, she would, she would run into her cage and... Um, She didn't realize that she had new owners. She thought of us as the same owners as before. And over time, because we loved her and we we did not want to harm her, and we, we wanted to only give her good things that would be helpful to her, she started to get a little closer. We were able to pet her and I remember over the course of a couple of months, um, we came home and she was actually excited to see us. And eventually, she was trying to get up onto the couch with us and to snuggle with us and she would kiss us. And it was like, it was unbelievable transformation. The dog that came into our home, who was broken and beaten, living a, a certain way to a couple months later, joyful, satisfied. And I think that we are sometimes a lot like Libby. We came from an old master who abused us and tried to destroy us. But now our ownership has changed. Our master has changed. Sometimes we we live like we're still with our old master. We don't live like we're with our new master loves us, who cares for us, who only wants the actual best for us, who laid down his life so that we could be with him. 
that's our new reality. That is our master. We have a new master. We don't have to live the old way. Praise God. And the response to that is exactly what Paul says. So glorify God in your body. We have a new body, or I'm sorry, we have a new master. We will have a new body. And my body wasn't made to gratify self. It was made to glorify the Lord. My body was not made to gratify myself. It was made to glorify the Lord in everything that we do because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So why don't we live in that truth this week? Amen. I want us to, I just wanna open up a space right now. Maybe you've came in here and you have been struggling with exactly what the scripture was speaking to this week. You've been struggling with sexual morality. You've been struggling with sexual sin. And I would be remiss if you were to leave here feeling, feeling shame and, and guilt and, and regret. Because what we have is the opportunity to come before the Lord in confession. And we have the opportunity for forgiveness. The removal of shame and guilt. Removing our sin as far as the east is from the west. We came in with the crimson stain and he makes it white as snow. And not only forgiveness, but also cleansing us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to do exactly that. And so I wanna open up a time of confession. If you would bow your head right now and confess to the Lord, Lord, I have failed in this area. I have fallen in this area. I confess that to you. And I need your forgiveness and I need your cleansing. And I need you to remind me again and again that, I, that I'm not who I was, that you are now my master, that I am now a temple of the Holy Spirit, that I have been bought with a price, that I am not my own, that I am yours. Take a moment, confess, pray that truth over you right now. Father, we come before you and we confess, Lord. Confess in the areas that we have failed. 
Lord, we come asking for your forgiveness. Lord, we believe your promise is true, that when we confess to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And so, Lord, would you do that right now? Forgive us and cleanse us. Remind us, Lord, again and again of our new identity. We are your temples. And we are so grateful to be that. Lord, would we walk out of here not in shame, not in guilt, not in regret, but Lord, would we walk out of here in freedom? the freedom that you provide for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We glorify you, Lord, in our bodies, in our whole being. In Jesus' name, amen.